Hello and welcome to Managing IP's IP Lounge, our monthly podcast that reviews the biggest stories in IP and previews what's on the horizon. I'm Max Walters, Deputy Editor at MIP, and I'm delighted to be joined by Rani Mehta, our Senior Reporter in the US. Hi, Rani. Hey, everyone. And Sakanya Saka, our Senior Reporter for Asia. He's out in India. How are you, Sakanya? Good. Not too bad. How are you guys? Yeah, we're all right, thanks. Yeah. One all in the cricket, so it's uh, on as even. Yeah, but I, I think we'll do better next time. Sure, you will. To be honest, I'm sure the the one that we won was just a just a one off. We don't have a very good record in India. Um, not a cricket fan, Rani. Um, I don't really uh, follow it. No, <laughs> no, no. I think uh, explaining a sport that lasts five days to Americans is often a uh, often one that they don't quite understand. Is it? So where are we? We're in February, unbelievably. So we last recorded one of these at the end of December, um, and we looked back at 2023 and had a little preview about what's going to be ahead in 2024. So it may have only been one month, but there's certainly been a few talking points. So let's get straight on with it, shall we? Um, okay, to start with, I guess we can look at some big litigation news or, or settlement news. Um, you probably remember that during 2023, we were constantly speaking about SEPs, and essential patents, uh, brand negotiations, but we're starting to see some settlement agreements. Um, so, Kenya, can you give us a little rundown of what we've what we've seen in the last few weeks? Um, yeah, of course. Thanks, Max. Um, so, uh, just to recap, I think some of the biggest disputes Patent Council have been monitoring across a lot of different regions, including Asia and Europe, last year were related to SAPs. Uh, we had Nokia and Oppo, of course, which has been ongoing since 2021, I believe. We also had Nokia and Vivo, Philips and Oppo, uh, yeah, just to name a few. Uh, all of these were settled in the last few weeks or say maybe a month. Uh, yeah, and there were some licenses that were reached amicably as well, like Nokia and Honor. Again, another Chinese smartphone manufacturer. So that's again really good news. Uh, very good year for Nokia. In fact, I think it signed six licenses in just over a year. So that's that's pretty great. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's it's definitely understandable. You know, Nokia had a bit of a drop in net sales last year, so it must be trying to kind of increase its revenue, increase its sales as well. And the Chinese decision that came out earlier this year from the Chongqing court um, was more favorable to Oppo. Um, yeah, so I'm assuming Nokia pushed hard to close whatever negotiations uh, negotiations have been going on for years. And uh, for Oppo, I assume it didn't really want the court in India to grant an interim injunction, right? And uh, I mean, the court reserved its decision a few months back, and I think an order would have come out in the next few months anyway if the settlement hadn't been reached. So Oppo's one of the largest markets for Oppo is India, right? So they wouldn't have wanted a unfavorable decision from this market. So um, yeah, pretty like you know, pretty good settlement for both parties, even though we don't really know the uh, details. Don't have the details for sure. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. the devil's always in the detail. Um, so I, I guess how would it, it's difficult to say, but I guess some some Indian litigators might be a little bit not disappointed. But um, it was looking at one point like India might be the one to sort of say that they could be the ones to determine the um, determine the frand rate, whatever. In in um, in this case with Nokia Oppo, weren't they? Or they there was some big judgment. I think potentially the end of last year or beginning of this year. But now obviously that's with the settlement that, that presumably goes out the window. Yeah, I mean, I think Nokia had agreed, 
to you know Delhi High Court, I think it's, had proposed few months back that it it it, it is happy to uh, decide the gro global front rate in the dispute with uh, Oppo and Nokia had agreed, but Oppo had submitted. You know we already have proceedings going on in Chongqing and such at an advanced stage, so we can't really uh, we. You know, it it won't really be right for the Delhi High Court to kind of intervene at this particular stage. Um, so that's that's probably fine. Even though pe some people may have been hoping for a decision from the Delhi High Court, I don't really think the Delhi High Court is ready for it. To be honest, based in India at the moment, because it has a lot of other issues that it needs to resolve first before uh, getting into setting global fund rates, right? Because I mean. At least Nokia's interim injunction application was filed in 2021, and it's 2024 now. And and before Oppo and Nokia reached a settlement, the court hadn't really delivered uh, a decision, even in the interim injunction. It's like three years. Three years is a long time. So, uh, yeah, I think it's okay if the Delhi High Court didn't really get an opportunity to set the global fran rate this time around. But I mean, I I definitely would have liked to. See See how it dealt with Nokia's interim injunction application. If the settlement didn't happen for the next few months, we probably would have gotten an opportunity to actually see that. But uh, yeah, that didn't work out. And of course, you know, a lot of people would have also liked to see whether China's Supreme People's Court upheld the Chongqing decision, Nokia Oppo, because of course the decision was a little bit controversial. So um, again, that did not work out because the settlement went through but um, i'm sure there would be other opportunities for you know, both the delhi high court and the supreme people's court in china to examine similar issues in the future yeah for sure i mean so that's interesting that we're seeing seeing kind of you know settlements and agreements there as you say i don't i doubt this will be far from the topics of conversation this year as well and obviously over in the in europe where where we're sort of where we're based or where i'm based rather and um, there's the proposed overhaul of scps which was sort of tentatively backed, I suppose, by the uh, European Parliament Legal Affairs Committee uh, last month. Well, there are 13 in favour and 10 abstentions. Uh, if you assume that an abstention is that you have some sort of reservations about the plan, then maybe it's not that popular, but you could also argue that nobody voted against it. So we'll see sort of, see how that, we'll see how that one runs. Let's head over to America then, uh, to to Rani. Um, and a slightly sort of different um, theme i suppose and looking at sort of law firms and how law firms are kind of managing their practices um there's been um a kind of interesting response to to patenting trends um recently what can you what can you tell us about that yeah so well there's one report that we reported on it was from anaqua and they found that semiconductors were the top field for patent grants last year I mean, uh, the, in 2023, and it was also the same in 2022. Uh, but one of the interesting uh, takeaways from talking to law firms with us is that a lot of firms, you know, were aware of this trend and were really trying to court semiconductor talent and people with semiconductor backgrounds. And some of them thought it was really important specifically to have people with semiconductor, you know, expertise because they felt like you really needed that in order to uh, prosecute those patents. So that was an interesting takeaway from talking to those firms and from looking at that trend. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, where do semiconductors go this year and then the next next couple of years and how are how how did firms continue to respond to that? Definitely. It's interesting that they've all sort of anticipating it, I suppose, and have already been kind of bolstering their bolstering their ranks. What um what kind of firms were you speaking to out of interest? Were these kind of like major major firms or kind of like IP boutiques? Was there sort of a mixture? What's what what type of firms were you speaking to for that article? 
Um, I think I think it was a mix. You know, I think we we spoke to uh, McDermott, Will Emery, and you know they do a lot of practices. And then uh, we spoke to uh, Ablon. Uh, hope I'm saying their name right. They're they're very focused on intellectual property law. You know, so we had a mix of uh, firms in there, and it was yeah interesting getting uh, different perspectives. I mean, it'd, it'd be interesting to do kind of a you know, wider survey, you know, we got a few samples and you really yeah. see what, what, what people are doing and, uh, you know, how, how different firms are investing in this uh, or what they are. But, uh, it was, yes, we got a few different uh, perspectives for that. Wow. Well, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, were there any sort of numbers in that, in that report? You mentioned that semiconductors were sort of like the most popular, um, thing. What were the, um, were there kind of any, any figures in, in that report that was, that was provided to you or? Yeah, so semiconductors, I think the figure was, uh, let's see, 59,662 patents. Uh, so that was actually slightly down. I think they found there were like 64,035 uh, uh, patents in uh, 2020. Uh, two, but it was still uh, the most popular this still year. Still popular. Yeah, and then yeah. they found a, you know, virtual reality, 5G, AI, unauthorized user detection were also like the top mm. fields um, and came, you know, you know, um, so it was, yeah, a few, definitely a few kind of happening, uh, you know, fields uh, there uh, that, you know, are kind of worth taking note of. Definitely, yeah. AI, interesting. Yeah, it's always up there, isn't it? Um, just come to AI in, in a minute, I suppose, but just on, um, I know Sakanya has some interesting thoughts on that, but just, just quickly while we're on this kind of law firm, how law firms, I suppose, sort of managing their, managing their practices to re respond to trends. You've, you also got some reactions to another report. I think it was a law firm report, um, and sort of. Uh, their their responses to sort of uh, litigation fears. What's what's been going on there? Yes, yeah, so that was interesting. So uh, the law firm in Northern Wells Fulbright, uh, they did the survey where they uh, surveyed more than four hundred in house counsel about their litigation challenges, and they do a range of practices. So this isn't just IP, but they did break it down into IP and even into patents. So I mean, one one finding is that forty five percent of in house respondents expected a higher number of patent disputes compared to last year, and you know different people have different responses like one source you know said that that was what she thought would be but even people who didn't see exactly that like there was another source who didn't necessarily think there would be more but you know he thought that they would be you know more uh ch challenging and more complicated and so for multiple reasons a lot of firms did expect to see kind of more opportunities because there were like I, either there could be more or they could be more complicated and then and then the report another interesting thing they did they kind of looked at you know why are these disputes so when they people who said they surveyed people who said they expected their exposure to intellectual property disputes to increase. And 46% of those respondents felt that the increased use of AI would be a factor in that. So uh, that was something that, you know, firms are also kind of keeping an eye on and looking out for, you know, and, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, I think it's still early was the, you know, a lot of people felt, you know, to know exactly what this is going to mean, but people are expecting this to, it, it, it seems like that the, both well, the survey, uh, you know, where they uh, did a lot of research and the people I, I spoke to kind of, the firms I spoke to, to Odile also seemed to, you know, be on the lookout for this. So, yeah, AI is really uh, popping up in a lot of contexts these these days, yeah. I think. Well, I don't know. I, know, I don't know we're going to get to it, but I think it's, uh, yeah, you, uh, definitely uh, definitely big topic. Yeah, well, both those, both those sort of 
trends you talked about, you know, the, the previous one with the with the report into patenting trends and this one about um, you know, responses to to what what's gonna sort of spark this increase in litigation, as you say, both AI sort of looming large on both of those. Well let's ask our uh, let's ask our AI correspondent, Sakanya. She's the uh she's the AI guru. So what what um what what AI trends have you noticed, Sakanya? What's uh, what's been going on? Um, yeah, thanks, Max. As Rani mentioned, of course, AI is definitely on everybody's mind. I mean, I remember when I was speaking to a uh, council in a lot of different regions in January about trends they expect to see this year, AI was on the top of everyone's mind. Um, something to monitor this year would be how law firms use AI to streamline their own processes and uh, increase efficiency and whether they can pass on those benefits to their clients. I wrote something on this sometime back, wait, maybe a month back or so. I think some firms are keen to pass on savings from use of technology to their clients. Some firms thought it it would be very difficult for them to do so because of inflation, because of, you know, uh, an increase in the amount they need to pay, pay to their associates every uh, year. So all of that would factor into whether or not uh, law firms can pass on savings from use of technology to their clients. But uh, it's, it's definitely something we would need to monitor. At the same time, uh, lots going on in the AI and copyright space as well. Uh, with the Getty, New York Times, lots also again generative AI platforms. So uh, we could probably expect some major decisions this year. And uh, as I wrote earlier this month, I think some platforms like OpenAI have been lobbying to regulators and policymakers uh, to allow them to use copyrighted content for free for uh, AI training. So I would definitely be interested to see how law and policymakers across different countries approach these issues. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be some differences uh, in terms of, you know, how different governments approach this issue. I, I mean, in China, we have seen that governments are a little lenient when it comes to AI-generated content. Maybe in the US, uh, the government is not so much more lenient. Uh, so there will, there will be definitely some differences in terms of how uh, governments... Uh, approach this issue so yeah that is what i'm looking forward to in the ai space and yeah that's that that's it i think and kenya's written a good for those who want to read it she's written a very uh well very convincing opinion piece about why you know platforms like OpenAI should be denied free reign over copyright protected work which is i suppose you know their um preference that companies uh opt opt out uh, and automatically opted in, um, and you've 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 put a pretty good defence as to why you know that shouldn't be the case, um, which I think is it's worth reading for anyone. Um, also worth reading because Sakonia reveals in it that if uh, work and family didn't demand it, she'd spend her life at an off-grid farm far away from WhatsApp and social media. So it's very nice of us, uh, very nice of her to come onto this podcast platform, despite her uh, her tech, you know, scepticism. So we appreciate your uh, we appreciate your presence, Sakonia. You're welcome, Max. Um, good stuff. Well, yeah, AI, as always, a, an interesting talking point. Um, and just going back briefly to this, um, similar to what Rani was talking about, um, you know, all we a lot of sort of um, theme, I suppose, this month about um, the relationship between in-house counsel and private practice, um, which kind of firms in-house counsel choose to work with um and so can you you noticed some interesting things over in australia i think it was primarily but what's what was the sort of yeah what was the um 
what was it essentially? What 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 was your what was your takeaways from from what you've been looking into there? Um, thanks, Max. So, um, yeah, something that I've been following for the past few years is the Australian IP legal market because, uh, as you know, it's one of the very few markets, legal markets in the world that's dominated by a handful of listed companies and firms that are part of uh, part, parts of those companies. Um, so, of course, you know, over the last couple of years since I've been an IP journalist, I've spoken to a lot of Australian uh private practitioners and co- competitors of those listed firms love to sometimes complain about a drop in uh, drop in the quality of service that's offered by listed companies and I have tried to ignore them uh, a little bit in the past because you know rarely anyone says nice things about their competitors so uh, um, anyway but I spoke to some in-house counsel late last year and earlier this year and uh, quite a few of them said that they have experienced quality issues like missed deadlines, high attrition of senior practitioners from listed firms uh, who have been representing uh, them for a very long time and uh, also an increase in conflict-related challenges with listed firms. Um, And that pushed a few of them to actually change firms. So I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, uh, Australia's legal market will probably continue becoming more consolidated even in the future because, we know, IPH, quantum IP, the listed companies that are there, they are looking to gain more market share in Australia. They're going to try and do that in the next couple of years. But, uh, you know, more than that, Australian listed companies have entered the Canadian market now as well and are looking for a bigger market share. They already have a good market share over there. So if clients are unhappy, I feel listed firms may need to take a relook at how their structure is affecting client management. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. After I wrote that article, lots of people actually reached out to me on LinkedIn and they kind of shared me screenshots about what their clients were, you know, saying about the kind of service that they have been uh, receiving from listed firms, right? Any juicy quotes? <laughs> I will have to go back to them. But yeah, I mean, there are, like, there, there are a couple of firms that have been named over and over again in terms of, you know, uh, interesting quality of <laughs> service, poor quality of service. So, you know, that, that's kind of interesting. So I'm assuming, you know, a lot of people might be looking into it because it, it, I'm sure that lots of people actually go with listed firms because they do receive good service. It can't be that they are offering like, you know, a really bad service. And I spoke to Quantum IP uh, last month, probably, or maybe the month before last month, I forgot, but um, they actually, you know, had very strong points in their favor uh, regarding how their list structure actually helps them to, you know, service their clients better and how they were very transparent about how they actually deal with conflict issues as well. So I thought there's some learning experience from there uh, as well. So it it could also be that, you know, uh, there are few instances of quality issues and, you know, there are also a lot of clients who are receiving good service from these firms as well. So it's kind of hard to say. For sure, yeah. I'm sure there's a bit of a bit of give or take in in both, isn't it? Um, is this just out of interest? Is this something that's like particularly prevalent in Australia for, for any particular reason? Or is it just that Australia happens to have a couple of these kind of holding companies that have, you know, hoovered up various, you know, sm- small and mid-sized IP firms? Or? I mean, I think for the past past one past decade or so i believe like you know first it was iph who you know went for a list structure um and then they were followed by some a company called zenith something 
and they were acquired by IPH again and then Quantum IP came along. So it's just that I, I, mean, I don't know like how exactly, you know, all of this happened, whether or not, you know, all the developments were linked to each other, but it just happened that Australia has become a little consolidated compared to other legal markets, right? And it seems like Canada is next with um, IPH gaining a lot of market share in that market as well. And I don't know if other other listed companies will actually follow suit. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, America's reporter, Rani, should uh, yeah, keep your keep your eye on Canada, I suppose. See what's going on north of north of the border. That sounds good. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, we're we're nearly sort of nearly out of time. But before we before we do head off, should we get a quick line from from people about what what they're sort of looking out for in the next month? Um, Rani, what's what's kind of yeah, what's in the pipeline? I suppose for the coming coming weeks ahead. Well, that's a good um, <clears throat> question. I mean, one thing, I don't know if this will be next month specifically, but one thing that's come up in a couple calls uh, and articles, it was this uh, case called Enri Select, which is a federal circuit case related to obviousness type double patterning and pattern term adjustment that was decided last year. So I think just continuing to see, I mean, the full federal circuit declined to rehear the case recently, but um, it will be interesting to kind of see, you know, what happens with that soon and kind of how like firms and companies uh, are dealing with, with 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 that so i think um that's going to be one thing that's uh will be interesting to look out for and kenya well what about you um so definitely how you know as i mentioned how ai will affect law practices copyright issues surrounding technology will something i'll continue to monitor and also hopefully more recipe cases now that you know the old ones have been settled just a week back or so i think uh, netgear sued huawei in the us and the complaint contains some very interesting allegations including racketeering attempts by huawei so yeah the SAP space will probably uh, still continue to be interesting and i'll keep monitoring what's going on there what goes on there interesting Great. Well, thanks very much, guys. Um, that's it for us today. In terms of you know other other additional content we can look out for, I'm sure we'll do a few more of our behind the case series. If you haven't spotted those so far, that's where we sort of uh, take a look at a recent piece of litigation, speak to the law firm involved, and um, just sort of get a bit of a sense of the sort of strategy behind the litigation, how they came to work with their with their client, and you know what the, what the win in the case means for their means for their firm. So do do keep an eye out for more in that series, um, and obviously our our weekly takes as well, our weekly opinion pieces, which uh, we publish every week, which um, on a given topic. Um, as I mentioned, Sakanya wrote a very good one on on AI, um, and so yeah, they've got um, plenty of those to be coming up. Um, so yeah, everything we've spoken about today, you can obviously read about on managingip.com uh, and lots of more stories as well of course there's plenty of content to, to get your teeth into so do go and have have a look so that's it from us in terms of the podcast um, don't forget this podcast is free uh, there's a new upload or new episode rather every month um, so we will see you next time alright thanks very much um, Rani and thanks very much to Kenya thanks Mark yeah thanks Max bye everyone cheers bye